0: This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minici.
1: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union at Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at what's the website, Jay?
2: dmounion.com.
1: That's right. We've got our own URL. I don't know what URL stands for. Uh United Regulation League or uh <laughs> underhanded rugby limitations. I don't know. Uh but we've got our own URL now for the uh, for the union. Yeah, you don't have to put in the
2: confusing Patreon blah blah blah. Just put in. I, I don't DMMO, have to say forward union. slash com. anymore. No more That's forward right. slash. You're gonna lose some credibility because I know a lot of people gave you respect for knowing to say forward instead of back. But I know. Yeah, give some, get some.
1: Right. So speaking of our dig me out union, we have a union member here. He's joining us, I believe, from the nation's capital. Unless he has relocated since our last discussion, which was over, a little over a year ago, we talked some Preachers. This year, we got a different ban. We got a U.S. ban instead of a U.K. ban. Welcome back, Peter Matheson. Welcome, Peter. Hi,
0: guys. Glad to be back, and uh, and I'm still in the belly of the beast here in D.C.
1: Ah, it's quiet, right? There's nothing much going on in... Thanks,
0: <laughs> being uh, <laughs> very
1: normal yeah yes yes very very normal easter weekend and uh cherry blossoms that's all there's going on in, <laughs> in dc yeah <laughs> New
0: cherry blossoms have passed but uh that's
1: right I... uh so how about you tell everyone the album that you have selected for your 12 month pick uh sure guys
0: so um i have selected
1: what was the i think the fifth album
0: by the uh, American Music Club, um, uh, Everclear. Uh, It's, uh, it's an album I have always been very fond of. Um, I kind of feel that they are a band who does not get the recognition that it deserves. Um, I think that I listened to this record an awful lot in, in, I want to say the late 90s. And around that time, um, as many of us were, you know, I was listening to a lot of of what people describe as, as alternative country or, or whatever other description of, of that style of music, you know, Wilco or the Jayhawks or, or Whiskeytown or the, the Willie Grant Conspiracy. And, um, and you know, I always kind of felt that when people talked about that scene, they, they didn't recognise that the AMC has, has been somewhat of a precedent for it. I'm personally not a fan of kind of scenes or categories or or labels and musicians themselves tend to hate them. But you know, I always kind of felt a lot of a lot of those records, the, yeah, EMC stuff certainly kind of felt like it belonged in the same ecosystem. And I've just always kind of been a bit perplexed that there wasn't kind of more recognition and kind of off the band and, and, and kind of what they did and in the late 80s and, and then in the early 90s. This record in particular being from, from 1991. Um, and I think, kind of, compared to, to some of their earlier releases, um, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this. Um, but you know, I think this is this is probably their most, I don't want to say the most commercial record, but it's certainly the record I think that has the most color. Um, and you know, I think it's it's a very concise, uh, a very powerful full set of songs. Um, so I was keen to talk about it with you guys.
1: Now, is this a band that you got the record when it came out and you were already familiar with the band? Or is this something that you discovered later on?
0: So a bit of both, to be honest. Um, so this band came on my radar, I think, around right about the time of, of Mark Heitzel's solo album, Songs of Love Live, which which got quite a lot of attention in the UK music press. I think last time I was on, I, I talked about the the influence of the UK music press on 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 the industry in the UK. And, um, you know, they started paying attention to to the band, certainly in the late 80s. And and that live album of Mark's got got quite a lot of praise. And Everclear came after that. And, you know, I was always kind of, I remember reading reviews of of Everclear, but um, um, I think my understanding is that there were distribution problems for for that album. Uh, There were a lot of problems, I think, in the making of the record. and, And I think um the amc's history is one that is littered with rather poisonous record label politics and and i think that was really rife at that time and um and i think that that the record didn't necessarily get the distribution it it deserved so i only kind of noticed it in a record shop i think probably six months after it had come out and you know at the time i had more limited resources than i I do now i was you know a, a student at the time so i didn't i didn't buy it then i bought the subsequent couple of records and as soon as they came out Mercury in San Francisco um and then um my best friend had ever appeared on cassette and we were going to see them on the San Francisco tour so I, I remember borrowing his cassette um just to, to be familiar with that material um and being pretty impressed with it but I probably didn't actually physically own a copy until probably in 97 or 98
1: okay And this album came out October 91 on Alias Records. This was the first... I I don't think Alias is a major, but they might get distributed by a major back then. And then in the next album, it comes out on Virgin. That's Mercury. was released in 1993. That's on Virgin Records. And then San Francisco, the album you just mentioned, that comes out in 1994 on Reprise. And then there's a break. Ten years later, Love Songs for Patriots comes out on Merge Records. The first... Four records came out on indies like Grifter, uh, Demon Records, Frontier, and Zippo Record. Like I've never even heard of those labels, to be honest. So I imagine that they were smaller indies, or unless they well, were imprints of labels that I'm not uh, aware of.
0: And I think it's just worth saying that you know it is it is 2019, and the vast majority of those records, not all of those records, have been out of print for probably about 20 years and you know that to me is just a crime um you know like you can't you can't listen to a record like california on um on spotify you you know you you can't buy it on amazon and and, in any format i think they're trying to resolve that this year i I, I saw some of Mark's social media alluding to that so it would be wonderful if those records were uh were were put back out there
1: so the original lineup for AMC was Mark Eitzel uh, singing and uh, playing guitar I guess and Scott Alexander on guitar bass player Brad Johnson and drummer Greg Bonnell Uh, Greg Bonnell is from Columbus and Eitzel had prior to moving to San Francisco had been in Columbus, Ohio where I am and had played in a couple bands one was called the Cowboys and their one was called the Naked Skinnies Uh, both of them released seven inches that are now very hard to get a hold of the cowboys one is extremely hard to get a hold of the naked skinnies you're going to pay like 40 bucks for that seven inch which uh when i mentioned that to that was uh financed by ron house of thomas jefferson slave apartments and um great plains and another a a number of other bands uh i saw recently and mentioned that you know you have to pay 40 bucks and he's like that's funny because like they sold them for like a dollar fifty or two dollars, <laughs> and now they're going for forty dollars a pop. Mm-hmm. So, but the lineup for this album is different than what the original lineup. There were some lineup changes. This is Mark Eitzel on vocals, guitar, and keyboards. Bruce Kafan or Kaffen on pedal steel, keyboards, bass, percussion, lap steel, dobro, guitar, and dulcimer. Dan Pearson on bass, guitar, dulcimer mandolin, banjo, and vocals, Mike Sims on drums, and Voody on guitar, accordion, and bass. And um, Voody is the nickname of Mark Pankler, who uh, I guess is one of the more long-term members of the band. Um, So, and as I mentioned, this was released in October of 1991. This was selected uh, by Rolling Stone as one of their top five albums of the year in 1991 and Rolling Stone named Mark Eitzel songwriter of the year in 1991 based on this album. Wow. Now there's an interesting note about that. Um, in a December 94, January 95 issue of addicted to noise, which used to be a magazine. And then I think was a website after that, they asked Eitzel about that. Honor, and he said it made me feel really good. But for the next show, there were 20 people in the audience, so it didn't necessarily translate into anything that mattered. Essentially, so
0: that's a recurring theme with this band.
1: Yes, although it did, I mean they did get signed to a much larger label after this, and and the next couple albums were all on uh, bigger labels. So. Let's get into some comments from our Patreon folks. Keith Sawyer says, One of my favorite albums of the 90s from my favorite band of all time. Wonderful choice. Wow. Crawford Blair says, Incredible record. So many great songs. Perhaps now the production is a little dated sounding in places, but it was my first proper exposure to AMC and the single Rise, and I mistakenly thought they were much more rockin' band than they turned out to be. Something a bit more akin to the Tragically Hip. I listened the crap out of this album when it came out. That's an interesting comparison. I would not have thought of a, a tragically hip comparison.
2: Well, uh, what are you saying for, for that song?
1: Gotcha, gotcha.
2: Whitney Wheeler is uh, happy that we're finally going to review an Everclear album. <laughs> <laughs> Mike
1: Bond says... American Music Club are one of those bands that I seem to remember being hailed as the next R.E.M. type breakthrough act. I have memories of them gracing the cover of The Enemy and Melody Maker in the mid-90s. They're one of those embarrassing blind spots in my history, but listening to Everclear and loving what I hear of this band, I'm definitely going to do a deep dive on. Jay, where are you? actually, there's one more. Stephen. Muszynski says, this is one of those names is very familiar to me. Yeah, I don't know a single song. I picked up a couple of their albums on CD from a dollar bin recent year in recent years and still haven't spun them. Hopefully this episode will give me cause to do so. So Jay, are you familiar with American Music Club? Have you ever listened to any of their stuff before? I'm with Steven, so no. I
2: mean, I'm familiar with the name. Um, I'm familiar with Mark Eitzel's name, but no, I'm, I don't know that I've ever heard uh, the band.
1: If I had, I didn't realize I was listening to them. I, at some point, listened to this record uh, probably more than 10 years ago. Probably because it was connected in some way to that alternative country sound that I am fond of. And I don't think it connected with me because I don't remember ever going back to it or having any sort of strong opinion on it back then. So I didn't really spend any time with it. I probably just gave it a cursory listen and then moved on. Because um, I actually have the MP3s in my like hard drive somewhere, so this is my chance to like actually spend time with it and and dig into it. So Jay, tell yeah. me tell me one thing you liked about this record.
2: Here we go. Well, I, it's it's textured beyond um, even comprehension. I mean, there there's so much guitar work going on here. It's really pretty brilliant in terms of. How it's how it's done. The different types of stringed instruments, whether they lap steel or banjo, or, or I think there might be ukulele. Or there's at least some like guitar being played that sounds like that. There's acoustic. There's electric. There's some fuzz. Um, it's it's a lot of it is soaked in a lot of reverb too. So uh, you can get some guitar parts that you're not even sure if they're guitar parts. They're in that they're either like. Reverb loops from the guitar that's being played and they create these like atmospheric sounds and or they're just beds of Delayed out guitars So it's really um, Rich when uh, I mean if you if you love guitars from that standpoint and how they can be used to you know um, You know on their own create almost an orchestra um, It's it's definitely rich there. There's a lot to dig into Um, the songwriting is strong um the uh the band overall is 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 pretty compelling you know there's some good bass playing on here there's a lot of good performance um the drums for the most part are understated but they they play to the songs well um it's just a really i think deep record too um the more you listen to it i think the more you appreciate and understand what's going on um it's not something that i think at a cursory listen you're really gonna get necessarily right away um so all in all i think that all comes together and it's you know it's 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 original as well like i i guess i could kind of hear the alt country thing but really other than maybe a moment or two here it's it's firmly planted in its own space so i think you know the, the one thing i would say is all those things come together to for me to the, the one thing i like the most is is that it creates something unique um with a lot of you know instruments and approaches and ideas that maybe aren't as ingredients unique, but the way they're put together, um, they're certainly distinctive. Why won't you stay? Why
1: won't you stay? Yeah, as far as the the sound, and I think you mentioned it, I love the atmosphere of this record, especially the first half. You mentioned the reverb. It's not the 80s reverb that you hear in terms of like, you know, the big drums or that kind of stuff. It's like this atmospheric, eerie-sounding, like dead of night sort of mm. really creepy but compelling sound that's like in the background of almost the first, almost all of the record, but a lot of the first half of the record. That's just, yeah. it's so original and unique that um, it really accentuates his vocal and really makes it sound as if there's like this character thing going on where, and I don't know if they intended this or not, but there's a lot of stuff about drinking on this record. And I feel like this album sort of progresses from this very controlled sort of tight, atmospheric sound and it sort of disintegrates as the record goes through and I don't know if that's meant when you get to like a song like um like the dead part of you where he's like yelling and it almost sounds like this person going through this sort of breakdown over the course of the record where and then like reeling themselves back in by the last song
2: the price of your soul is There's so little of you left There's
1: so little of you left The dead part of you takes me out It says a beast in me is fading fast And leaves me with a
2: great big goodbye hug It's busy clinging to the dead part of the past Oh, you only oh, love one thing so other
1: yeah he has taken everything it's it's There's just a so it's a really interesting listen that you can sort of apply your own sort of take on it but i i heard this like narrative going on from the from the mark reitzel's perspective that uh made me think that there was some sort of a concept behind what was going on here. Not in this sense of like a progr- progressive rock album with a concept album, but just, just there's this like, I think we talk about it when we talked about like, uh, the Afghan wigs, uh, gentlemen album, like that record yeah. sounds like it's sort of slowly disintegrating. Like the, the music even sounds like it's going sort of out of tune at times when it's getting more frantic. And I had that vibe to me.
2: Yeah. 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 I even noted, uh, why won't you say to me sound like a that era wigs ballad um it had that darkness created by um like you're describing and that those atmospherics of the reverb that's going on yeah um yeah they become an instrument which is interesting i mean a lot of times on especially a lot of these early 90s records when we hear heavy reverb it's usually unnecessary you know You're, we're usually critiquing and saying uh, oh, we could probably make that a little drier and this album would would work better but in this case it, it's it's an instrument um that's critical to the record which is pretty cool
1: so peter what did you respond to on this record that made you want to uh suggest it for us what works for you on this record
0: well i mean everything works for me on this 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 record i mean this is this is one of my all-time favorite albums but i think in terms of the comments that you just made I mean just to kind of build on that you know in terms of the atmosphere of it I think you know I've always seen it really as a kind of aquatic kind of oceanic type of feeling you know it kind of has that kind of feeling like you're out at sea or something and there's a lot of lyrical references on the, on the album to uh, to kind of you know being at sea or, or or being in water of some way um so you know I think that is definitely strong strong to me I used to always, I think, associate that with Rudy. Um, I used to think that, that a lot of that was concentrated his guitar playing. Um, I kind of think, you know, revisiting the record now, uh, you know, I think that does a disservice to the rest of the band, and, and in particular, Bruce Caffin, who, who, you know, only discovered he was technically a member of American Music Club when he got hold of a physical copy of this album and, and saw his name listed amongst the members. Um, you know, he was also the producer on this record, which, uh, of this album. And if you kind of go and listen to Mercury, uh, which was produced by, by Mitch Froome, um, it's, you know, much more kind of a colder sound. And, and, you know, I think there's a case to be made that, had this record been their major label debut, rather than Mercury and a major label debut with, with all the resources of a major label, and, and what that can do for a band, you know, perhaps the commercial trajectory of this, of this band would have been, would have been somewhat different. Um, But just the other thing I want to mention, and and again, it it touches on what you guys have already said, is, um, you know, I think the art of sequencing an album, um, especially in this day and age where, you know, so many people just listen to songs. um, But, you know, I think there's a real art to sequencing a record, I think. Um, I think it's really important to get that right. And and I just love the way this album is sequenced. I think it could be quite difficult to sequence an album satisfactorily if you have a lot of flow songs like this band tends to have but I just kind of love the way it it, it, it flows um, you know I first got to know this album on cassette and um, you know, the first track on side two is the confidential agent and just the way that song kind of comes in with with the um, the, the, the chord on the piano and and, and uh, vocal almost immediately behind it it, it, it just um it just kind of has a kind of we're back kind of feeling to it as, it, as they kind of get into side two. Take the velvet
1: line for comfort High above the
2: water, feel disconnected and free Tired of arms
1: that I just can't run from Pursuing
0: me.
2: Running the falls, represents a rebirth.
1: After is after, night's work is done.
0: There's
1: no sun, just a gray. and then
0: you mentioned the dead part of you and you know that is the moment in the record i think with the most dissonance and and it's the most abrasive song on the record but it's followed immediately after with uh, the royal cafe which I think is, is in many ways the most uplifting moment on the record and, and the most kind of gracious song in the album. And, and it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like stepping out of a hospital or something in, in the dead part of you and getting in the car and driving out to the bright green countryside. It's just a, like a breath of fresh air. So I really like those little touches. Well,
1: and you mentioned, you know, the dead part of you being, the you know, the abrasive song. It's only 2.44. That's, mm. that is like, and, and and this record overall is like you said mentioned it's so well sequenced, and it's so tight. Even though it's atmospheric, even though it's got space on it, it's only a thirty-six minute long record. And this could have easily been abused. There could have been seven, eight minute long, you know, dirges of atmosphere, and they keep everything to like basically four minutes or less. And there are a lot of every. A lot of stuff's in the three-minute range. There's a couple in the two-minute range. Like, they get in and out of these songs so quickly that you don't, even though they're slow in a lot of places, even though they're quiet and sparse, it's not like when I listen to, you know, I, I, I had read in comparison, like, some slowcore, uh, you know, like low or something like that would be in comparison to this Um, I don't think that's a comparison for the whole record because there's obviously some stuff that's up tempo like Rise Um, but those you can get a tendency with those bands to like really drag it out and then it becomes a little monotonous whereas this ebbs and flows just enough from song to song really there's only one song I think throws it for a loop do you know which one I'm going to (laughs) talk bring up
0: is it Crabwalk?
1: yeah yeah that song i don't know why it's on this record it sounds like one of billy bragg's contributions <laughs> to mermaid avenue
0: um in its defense um if if you if you guys use spotify there is a copy of the rise ep on there which has an acoustic version of Crabwalk on it um and it sounds like a completely different song it's it's presented in a way like, um, it, it's actually sounds quite similar to, to what the Pillar of Salt held up on, on the MVP record. So it's worth giving that a spin.
1: Okay. Yeah, because that one, man, it does not, it, it almost, like, wrecks the record in a way because it's so different from everything else. Jacob, what did you think about Crab Walk?
2: <laughs> Didn't, did not enjoy. Um, yeah, it felt goofy, um, not at all in place with the rest of the record i mean just the rest of the record it's so dark and it is not dark at
1: all it just throws you for a loop
0: i like to think they were they were pretty drunk when they part of that
1: yeah well i mean and it works in that context where i said it sounds this sounds like a, a night of drinking at a bar and you know there's that's the happy drunk part and then there the dead part of you is the angry drunk part of when you've descended into a little bit of madness uh close to the end of the evening. Um there's yeah, that just that one just did not fly with me. Um Jay, is there anything that does not work for you on this record? Uh Crab Walk. Oh yeah. And...
2: <laughs> um Miracle on Eighth Street is okay. You know, there's there's a couple moments or songs, uh maybe confidential agent um that are just a little I guess boring that they didn't quite have the melody that I'm looking for uh you know they, they're slow um but really that's it I mean I think for the most part like you said it's only a 36 minute record so it's not like you're right um you can't get through those there's just I think when this works well for me um, the song songwriting's strong. The hooks are strong, uh, you know, in terms of how he does hooks. And there are some where he starts pretty quickly with the vocal and gets right to the melody, which I think works really well. Um, and then you've got that contrast with the um, ethereal guitars and, and textures. Uh, that's when it works well. When it doesn't, it gets a little flat and slow, um, maybe too atmospheric, um, and just overall a little dull but um i think those moments are, are pretty brief
1: i actually really like miracle on A3. i love how big that kick drum sounds it just it sounds like the, an an entire like building is going to collapse cuz it's so big it's just going to like shatter a, <laughs> it's it's enormous sounding because of the reverb come on let's waste another 1000 years sitting around your kitchen table We'll turn the brandy into beer Later they'll say What a miracle You say all
2: you need is the right position
1: Which just works really well in the in the context of this record. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't really have a lot of issues with this record. I really liked listening to it all the way through, and I think you have to like pay attention because of the atmosphere, because of the restraint. This is not something that you can just like put on because it will go by so fast, and you will not know what happened if you're just like not paying attention. But if you sit down with it and, and put on a nice pair of headphones and crank it. You could just get swallowed in that big atmosphere of the, of the record. Um, but crab rock was crab. Rock is the one that like stuck out for me. I liked every other song on this, but that was the one where I was like, mm, Nope, skipping. I've heard it already. <laughs> <laughs>
2: when I play back in a head in my head right now, I'm, I'm singing uh let's do the time warp again.
1: <laughs> Instead of let's do the crab walk <laughs> uh, it sounds like uh, uh what's that uh, Billy Bragg song on mermaid Avenue is it the um uh, Mr. Kennedy or I'm trying to remember which one it is, but it sounds like it's got that that shuffle waltz thingy going on um is there anything for you Peter that does not work on this record or is this pretty much perfect for you?
0: it is pretty close to perfect. Um, I mean, I did, um, there's a great book about the American music club written by, a like guy called, uh, Sean body. Um, who I think is, unfortunately is no longer with us, but um, I, I was rereading sections of that book in, 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 preparation for this. And, and he says that there, um, there was an alternative mix of, uh, why won't you stay? that was, it was discarded that he describes as superior. And, um, hmm. um I would say, I mean, why won't you stay? I mean, I, I love the song, but it's probably it's probably one of my least favorites on the record. And and for the song that you know opens up the, the album, that's some, you know often quite a surprising thing to say. But you know, that's just me saying that I would love a bonus deluxe edition with all the outtakes to to one debut release, really.
1: Yeah. So let's let's talk about this a little bit in terms of 1991. Rise is the single. 1991 is a weird year. You know, it's not until the fall that we're going to get into Nirvana and, you know, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> but there's it's starting to happen with regards to alternative taking over. I don't even know where this fits in terms of... I mean, I, I guess it got played on the, the video for... Rise got played on like 120 minutes, based on on the Wikipedia entry. Um, this comes out in October, so this is actually just after Nevermind comes out. So I don't I don't know that it really had a chance in terms of the heavier sounds that were dominating. Yeah, MTV at this point. Yeah, this doesn't sound like a
2: 1990. 1990- one record to me in any shape or form. I mean uh, I would I would have assumed listening to this that it was much later in the 90s if not I mean I could very well hear this record coming out now. There's nothing about it that to to me that dates it to the 90s let alone early 90s. Right. But if I had to say where in the 90s this came out, I would pick much later in the decade. Um so I I think this is just way of, way ahead of its time. I don't know that you know, maybe after the first wave of alt country happened, and you had Wilco experimenting and things fracturing a little bit more. then I think this makes a whole hell of a lot more sense had it been released, you know, then. Um, so I, I just think it's way ahead of its time.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because, in terms of that alternative country wave, the the thing that I hear is the atmospheric space a little bit of experimenting that's going on reminds me of wilco at times but the but the vocal and the way that he sings and his lyrical approach reminds me of more of jay farrar at times doesn't get quite as um fractured with his lyrics as jay farrar can get uh and and there's not there's not the twang that jay farrar can have at at times but there's like a literate or, or literacy to his um, not literacy what's the word I'm working for he it takes it's a little bit more like poetic license I guess with his lyrics to a certain extent so I, but I you're right I could hear it but it would have to be like way later um, this definitely sounds like because when you put it in 1991 there is no quote unquote you know Uncle Tupelo is on album 2 at this point and they're on a tiny little label out of illinois nobody's listening to them yeah. so there's nothing even close to breaking through at a, at a mainstream college radio level that's you know i know there, there was acts that were like americana but this i mean it's really a fine line between this getting to americana or or all country at this point um I'm sure people will argue that it's not that it's more in just an just an indie rock record, uh, but when you include those Dobros and
2: it, it gets you know, folk. that
1: kind of stuff.
2: I definitely heard some folk in there. Yeah,
1: like
2: not not in a, but in more of a traditional sense. That's you know treated with a lot of uh, atmospherics. Right. as soon as you hear the banjo and the pedal steel, you you kind of you start to go there.
1: Yeah, and the lap steel and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, overall ratings. I think we're all. I know where we're all going to land. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> let us do it anyway. Worthy album, better EP or decent single J?
2: Oh, worthy album. It's uh was was surprising to me. I like I said was really blown away when I took a look at the release date and thought about that for a minute because I, I just. This just does not sound like 1991 in any shape or form. So, um, glad we're we're building up the library here of reviews from the early 90s, and this one I think uh, yeah. really stands out as a as a very different from a lot of the other stuff we've listened to.
1: Yeah, agreed. Were the were the album? I would only get rid of Crabwalk, or I I would like to hear that Rise EP version and maybe swap it out if it's if it's a better version of that song. Peter, I don't. I, I think it's perfunctory for me to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Where the album?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd I say close, close to perfect album in, in my estimation. I think um, I kind of go back and forth between this and their second record, Engine, um, which uh, a, a, a somewhat kind of more straightforward rock record. Um, but but I think I think this one probably edges it as my as my favorite of the of the seven or or eight albums they they released in their first run Um, I think this is the one that's always my go-to
1: Well, thank you for bringing this to us, not only because it was a really cool record and it filled a little blind spot, but yes, as Jay mentioned, it helped us uh, fill in our 1991 uh, area because we have been deficient over the years of in the early 90s so this uh, gets us closer to parody in terms of our year-by-year, <laughs> year-by-year reviews.
0: You can make an argument that cultural decades don't really align with the decades that are on the calendar. So that probably explains it.
1: That's true. <laughs>
0: well,
2: but Peter, Peter, that blows up all of our marketing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: We can't be the ninety. The 90- to 2000 to your podcast we have to be in the 90s podcast. the only explosion started
1: in the 90s remember well so if you're listening to this and you'd like to be like Peter and you have an awesome album for us to check out you can go to what's that website again Jay?
2: dmounion.com dmounion.com DMO
1: there you go and become a union member Doing so gets you one of our cool union member stickers. And you can also join at a variety of different tiers or levels or uh, what do they call them? Tears. Tears. That's it.
2: <laughs> so I got the uh, the T-shirts all packaged up. They're ready to go out this week. And I put a little uh, little gift in there, a little personal artwork that I did. So everybody who's getting a first run t-shirt is also going to get you a a little bit of my artwork as a thank you
1: cool is it watercolor flowers uh
2: nope (laughs) you'll have to see
1: cool it's related to the show if you want jay's artwork it's not a picture of a squirrel it's just a little thank you card nice t-shirts that kind of stuff uh just check out the tiers you get to vote in polls for our album reviews and at the higher levels you get to vote in our 80s poll which uh if you are a listener at at patreon you will know that you now have an 80s episode for the month of april because that's that just came out uh well we're recording this it hasn't come out yet but when we post this episode it has come out so we're in that time travel area where things have happened and have not happened at the same time uh, and then, of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. So for Jay, I'm Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out.
0: Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out. And become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com.